Welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. Today we're going to be talking all things product development. It's going to be an exciting episode. Uh, we've got a great guest with us today, Oren Schobel. Oren, welcome to the show today. Ah, oh, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it, Ben. No, it's, it's going to be good. A man whose uh, face I've seen so much on green screen TikToks on my Twitter feed lately. Um, you're uh, you're pumping out that content, man. You you enjoying it at the moment? We are, yeah, and uh, I think. It's almost been helpful to do high high velocity to make a lot of them. I think I try to make three or four a day. Um, it's actually I find easier than trying to make one. So yeah, that's yeah. why you see so much. Yeah, no, it's good, man. It's just great content. You know, I'm, I'm loving it. So um, we'll dive into all of that. Um, but give us a little bit of a background. Uh, who are you? What you're doing? And uh, and then we'll dive into some questions. Uh, yeah, no problem. So I'll, I'll uh, try try to keep it short. But basically, I started my career as a designer uh, agency side in New York. And I worked with a lot of. Uh, companies in food and beverage and, uh, and hospitality and liquor companies, companies like Red Bull um, agency side, became a creative director, uh, got more into marketing on the technology side, became a VP of marketing and a VP of sales, really in, in consumer electronics. Uh, and so helped build out the camera drone channel kind of worldwide as those were becoming prominent and sold into places like Best Buy and Fries and international things like that. Uh, Harvey Norman in Australia, FNAC in France, you know, places of that nature. Uh, and then after that, um, started an agency with a few friends of mine that does high-tech product development called, called Gwyn Partners, um, where it's still up today. We have about 45 contract engineers that, um, that work at our firm. We have service clients that help de- you know, develop really complex things uh, that are similar to the space we were in in drones. And then um, over the last few years, I've been less involved there while that team runs it. And I did a kind of roll-up in, in consumer packaged goods in the cannabis space. And we took a company public last July. Uh, and then now, this last year, I've truly really been focused on you know, making product development content, helping different entrepreneurs make their own products. Uh, I built this website called Product World where I teach you know, people all the kind of nuance of product development and have a newsletter called Product People. It's really popular about that same thing. And just kind of bounce back and forth between making educational content, you know, working with the agency, and then uh, consulting on product dev. Yeah, man, it's quite the resume. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been a long, uh, you know, decade or two. Yeah, and you only you only look about twenty three, so I'm not yeah. sure you fit it all in. But, uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, health and wellness, you know. That's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good, man. Um, we'll dive into a bunch of that. It's, it's a great newsletter. Product people, I'm on it. I, I kind of read it every uh, every week. I think you send it out whenever it comes. I read it. Um, so definitely, we'll, we'll get people on that at the end of the episode. Uh, but just to jump in, we're, we're doing a new slot in the uh, the podcast. We're calling it Favorite Five. Um, over the year, we're going to ask all of the guests their favorite five uh, on these subjects. Um, so hopefully. Um, you can uh, rattle these off, but um, yeah, we're going to go for the first one. Is your favorite e-commerce brand? Uh, you know, I really like um, there. There's two. I really like Graza. Get Graza, the olive oil brand, and um, and then the second one. Once like I, I actually uh, had this bookmarked for this exact reason, but there was one who I just found the other day who just had an absolutely amazing um, set of landing pages, and oh man, this one. All right, it is called Bite Toothpaste Bits. Oh, yeah, I've seen their pages. They are a piece of art. Unbelievable. Yeah, in, in, incredibly well done. And I know there's a lot of uh, people out there who believe, okay, you don't need to have the most immaculately designed things. And I totally agree to launch. But if you're in some competitive new space uh, and you can do some really incredible landing pages like the way theirs looks, then uh, I think it really helps you. Mm, yeah, I've seen it. it looks incredible. The product looks good as well. Yeah, interesting um, to try. 
Yeah, defo. Good. Okay, uh, next up, second on the list, your favorite software or tool that helps you run your business or life? Um, you know, I use a lot of Asana. Uh, it's kind of built into all the workflows I have with my various teams just for project management, which I, I definitely love. Um, and also, but I know kind of just on the e-com side, uh, we've, we've just made an awful lot of money and time with, with Klaviyo. Uh, and then my newest favorite tool, I know I'm answering a bunch kind of here, is definitely Triple Whale, which I'm using on a uh, all the accounts we spend, you know, 50k plus on on advertising. Triple Whale has been really helpful to kind of get exposure to our uh, exactly what our returns are, and so I, it would be hard to live without those those three tools. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I love the guys at Triple Whale. They're doing something pretty incredible there. Um, speaking of marketing, organic marketing channel, favorite uh, one of those? T- TikTok all, all day. Uh, I, we are in such a blessed time where we can just make creative short form video and have it pushed on the timeline to millions of people. Uh, it is a absolutely incredible tool. And I think the people who I've seen complain about it or say they're better off on Instagram just uh, haven't haven't put enough time in. Uh, those are all great channels too, but it, organic wise, the, the reach and sales pull through on that is incredible. Yeah. Okay. How about paid marketing? You know, uh, the majority of paid marketing, you know, we're doing is still kind of on meta platforms, but honestly, we've been shifting as much budgets away from that as possible into spending that money on organic. Really, I'm trying to shift as many brands as possible into um, organic as top of funnel and paid is just purely retargeting. And we do that across as many platforms we can retarget on as possible. Yeah. Is that because of the issues with uh, pixels, et cetera, or just the No, just the power of, of organic. Yeah, just like the fact that you can make good content and put it on TikTok, Reels, Shorts, Facebook Reels, uh, even LinkedIn and Twitter. You see, we talked about the start. I, I repost all my TikToks on Twitter and they do great. And so the fact you can make one piece of content, push to all those places, get a ton of organic reach. And then the more content you do, it keeps pushing it out. You're not gated from it the way we were on, on meta platforms the last few years is like, while that opportunity is there, let's use that as much as possible versus paying money. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd love to dive into TikTok a bit more um, through the, the episode. Um, so we'll, we'll jump on then to the final one, your favorite business book. <laughs> uh, great. So I guess uh, I'll give you two answers because I think my first one's probably uh, a relatively typical answer, which is um, Alex Tremosi's $100 million offers, um, which has just really changed how I think about a lot of things. But then the other one I really like, and this is more suited towards my background, is there's a book called Caps Lock, which is about the history of graphic design in commerce and about how like the design of everything from individual bills to credit cards, et cetera, like impacts the way we think about money and business. And I found that book uh, fascinating from a psychological perspective, especially as we're in such design-driven lives and building in, in e-commerce and product development right now. Mm, yeah, no, I've never heard of that, but it does sound fascinating. I'm gonna have to check it out. Good stuff, man. Well, appreciate you answering those. Gets us to know you a bit more and uh, helps our audience explore some new things. Um, your expertise is obviously, I want to get onto TikTok, um, but also product development. Talk about those two things, dig into those as much as we can and, and pull some stuff out that will really help our listeners. Product development is obviously a big topic and we don't have time to go into everything about it. Um, but for someone that's starting a brand in 2023, you know, I personally believe that product is more important than ever. You need to produce really, really really good products to stand out in a growingly competitive space someone that's just starting out right now what are some of the fundamentals that you're going to tell them you have to get this right with product i know it's a big question but if you could kind of talk us through some of the you know fundamentals that you would start yeah, so out with. an exercise i really encourage for everyone who wants to do a product in the category say you want to make a headphone for instance or uh i think that's a good example to start with because it's kind of relatively complex but not too complex is i encourage people to do kind of what i call an end-to-end walkthrough where you literally go to the pick two or three brands 
Um, go to their websites, search for the product online, figure out how you get there, actually walk through the e-commerce experience, order, order from them, order from Amazon, whatever it is, and then just notate that entire process of how you found them, did the value proposition speak to you, what did they say was in the box, what were the things they called out, and then see you know, what happens when did you get an abandoned cart email, did you get a thank you follow-up when someone ordered it, when you actually received the package, how fast did it come? What was it packaged in? What was the internal packaging like? What was the unboxing experience like? What was the usage experience like? And just kind of really notate out every one of those things around two or three products in your niche. And what you're going to end up with is this really thorough list of things you never thought of, of like, oh man, I have to coil the headphone cord around an object inside the box or it, it doesn't wrap right. you know, Or, oh, they actually sent me a branded shipping box, whereas this other company didn't. And then you're going to end up with this master list that I use to make briefs, right? You then use to say, Here's my brief for my packaging. Here's my brief for the product I want to make. And being able to base it on that, I feel like is a really strong starting point. And in that process, you might go, oh man, this isn't the product for me. Or, oh wow, here's a huge opportunity that none of these brands are doing. And I think that's why exercises like that are so important. Yeah, it's interesting because you're obviously thinking about product far broader than most people would. You're thinking about it beyond just the the, the foam ear pads on your ears. You're, th you're thinking about the whole experience when it comes to product. Yeah, because some people make a great product and I think you obviously still have to focus on that. But if it's not explained well or the person doesn't have that basic engagement of like, okay, well, what happens when I open the box and get to use it? I feel like you miss a lot. And I, I now wait almost 50-50 the experience around the product, basically what it's like to start using it, the adoption of it. And then the actual continued use of it and how easy that is as much as the actual function of it itself, just because people are so finicky about it. if it's not easy for them, they just move on. You, you speak a lot about creating high quality products. You also speak a lot about manufacturers. You, I've seen you give out uh, names of factories for people to source products. You obviously have done a lot of sourcing. Uh, how do you find good manufacturers? Yeah, and so it's interesting because uh, everyone always wants a manufacturer for this or that. It's the most common question I get. Can you help me find a manufacturer for, for X? And I think that's almost like a false gate. It's so easy to find manufacturers now. People are just afraid to pull a trigger on a sample. And so a lot of why I give out so many factory links is because I just want people to see how easy it is. And the fact you just kind of go and try. So how I find people is as I have a list of different platforms I work with. So one is Pietra Studio. Uh, it's about 40 bucks a month, and it's kind of like a curated list of factories that they've vetted across a ton of industries. Uh, and then there's Alibaba, which you know most people know, which is just a huge sea of kind of unvetted factories for anything you want. Uh, then there's ThomasNet, which is a kind of a U.S. Um, factory aggregator. Uh, and then Europages, which is a very mediocre UX, but has a lot of European factories. But basically what I do is, is I go through those, you know, you look at their examples, you look at their reviews, um, you send some, I send messages to probably three to four factories for anything that I want to sample. And then also see what's their response time, what's their English like, uh, and then just order samples. A lot of what I do in every factory that I post, I order something from, I'm constantly ordering samples just because I'm vetting a wide swath of different companies. And it's really, you know, generally pretty cheap to do no matter what you're ordering, whether it's 20 bucks or hundred bucks, you can get an example product from them. You can see what communication is like, and then you can begin looking at what the options are to build your own custom thing but we have so many options out there to find those places no matter where you are and what you're looking for that it really just comes down to searching for it uh finding people that communicate well and then ordering from them when you have a product idea you want to source say your headphones or some other category do you specifically go to a certain location China, Europe, based on the product type? Or is it just uh, it's just something you've come to think this might be a good product for this location? Or do you try and source it? Yeah, 100%. So anything electronics-wise that uh, isn't, doesn't have like 
isn't made for defense or anything like that that I definitely go to China for. Um, and then where it gets nuanced is things like um, consumer packaged goods or like foods or supplements or things like that. A lot of that really, anything needs to get kind of co-packed or has freshness tend to work really specifically within the U.S. if possible. But then you really need to vet if they're bringing in things from overseas or if they're making it in the U.S. And then anything that's kind of a, a lot of steel and metal and things like that is is also something we still look to the U.S. for. And then in fashion, there's kind of a wide swath where uh, when you when you end up doing like leather or, or higher quality materials, you're going to be looking at kind of Pakistan. You might be looking at Portugal, um, you know, Italy to a, to a lesser extent and you know, Turkey but then there's still plenty of that stuff that's made in China and made really well but it's just kind of a matter of the quality you want what you want your label to read what communication looks like there's a lot of cultural nuance uh, what I like most about China, especially with Alibaba, is everyone's super responsive. Uh, there is a lot of good communication back and forth. There's a messaging platform that everyone knows how to use. And when you get to some of these other countries, uh, communication and, and even cultural nuance around what they tell you versus what reality is, is, is a little bit different. And I think that's the hardest learning curve for, for people. If you were to, um, you know, if you were to want to source, say, like a, a clothing company, you were saying about how China um, is on the list, a big one on the list. Are you finding a change in consumer sentiment that people don't like to see made in China on clothing labels? Yeah, I think there is a regard that a luxury brand should have something else on there, whether it's made in, you know, Portugal's have been a nice in between for, you know, between Italy, but it's the quality is there 100% in China. And what a lot of people don't realize, I think, is just is thinking, right? Where, uh, if you request something from China, they're so used to people coming to them for cheap goods, a lot of these factories, and, and like coming to them because of price, that they offer their cheapest things first. Whereas a lot of them have the capability to do significantly higher quality, but you have to really ask for that and spell that out and let them know that you are focused on quality throughout this process to have them understand what you're going for. Um, but yeah, but consumer sentiments are all over the place. Um, but what we do a lot of is, is kind of mixed supply chain as well, where we will end up with fabric from one place that is put together in China that's sent as a base garment to the U.S. and then finished with wash houses or embroidery or screens, things like that in the U.S. to be able to kind of take advantage of mass production and getting 10,000 of a thing, but then being able to customize it or move around seasonality and trends by adapting that domestically. So there's a lot of different strategies to approach it. Are you doing anything unique to ensure top quality? You obviously inspections, yep, finding so, the right manufacturer. Yeah, there's a service like uh, called Kima, Q-I-M-A, that we use a lot for factory inspections. Uh, what I love about them, I think it's like $400 roughly, uh, but they'll inspect a factory anywhere in the world with a checklist that you provide them. And so that's been really helpful too because you'll, you'll get a sample but obviously, sometimes quality can change when they're entering into high production. And so having a service like that that can go and actually check that before it ships to you um, is, is a super useful kind of use of funds. So I definitely do things like that. Uh, but also, it's just establishing that rapport and really communicating what it is you want and what your expectations are. I feel like most people who have issues just haven't clearly communicated their expectations. And if they have clearly communicated them and they have a problem, it's way easier to resolve it in your favor. How are you being clear? Is it messaging back and forth or do you create a real detailed PO? Yeah, so really detailed briefs, basically, uh, and then really detailed messaging. And so what I like to kind of do is, again, similar to that exercise we did before. It's like, okay, think through every step of how this thing is being produced. And you can even ask them, okay, what are the different steps of production? Um, and then going through and being like, all right, we want to make sure our buttons are attached like this with an example. Or we want to make sure it's placed in the box like this with an example. And it's tedious and it's painstaking, but it's it's completely worth it to make sure your things are done right and uh, it's a 
a matter of like also letting them know to communicate with you when they have questions and be like, hey, if you have a question about the quality or if there's any decisions need to make, please, I'd like to review all of those. And I found that manufacturers have no problem getting on FaceTime or getting on a chat and walking through those things. You just have to ask for it. Okay, so once you've made a really good product, how do you market it in a way that shows how your product is better than the market? Um, so a lot of that comes down to the storytelling behind it. And so I really encourage brands now to kind of build in public and showcase a lot of the process I was just talking about, being like, hey, we're working through this product with our manufacturer, and here's all the choices that we've made, and here's kind of the detail of what we're describing and sharing a bit about that process so consumers can learn the work that goes into it and they can get excited about the journey of going from sample to reality. Um, And then even when you get it, just really making content that describes those details, that describes that experience, why you made those choices. And if you've gone through the exercise I described to start where you actually have said, hey, I'm evaluating these products and these things, and I think I can make these better. You've also basically established your roadmap for making content about how your product is differentiated. And one thing I I don't see a lot of brands doing that they should is that not only does that content live on your social media, it should also live in every email you're you're putting out about those products. It should live on the actual e-commerce pages. Like the fact that people might have deep dive videos on their products that you can't access from the page you're going to buy it on is the kind of dots that I think you can connect to help better tell your brand's story and you think most brands should be doing this on tiktok first um i think it it depends on the brand and the category i do think that there is a unique opportunity on tiktok for reach for kind of top of funnel awareness but i think that you know every brand should be making short form video content no matter what industry you're in whether it's SaaS or physical products or fashion or whatever that ends up being and then distributing that across multiple platforms and i think it depends on your community and your audience and where you're going to have resonance but it's so easy to make one and distribute to many now that i think it's highly worth doing that and you know, while TikTok may generate the most top of funnel awareness, you may find that Facebook Reels is the one that actually converts the highest for you. Yeah. And if you were to predict the the future of TikTok, you think it's got a long future in uh, the Western world? Um, I you know, I think it's uh, all social media that we've kind of seen definitely comes and goes. Uh, what I'm trying to think about is how long are we going to see an uncapped algorithm the way we have now where any kind of you can succeed without um, having to pay a significant amount of money for it. And I think that that is either going to last for a long time and be part of their core brand or we're going to see that wrap up in the next 18 months or so. And then, so for someone that's just getting started on TikTok or they want to document the process, what would be like the keys you would say for getting set up? Just record yourself talking about the products. Give us yeah, some. So I would say, so my recommendation for this, and I've actually been, been thinking about this pretty in depth because I'm I like basically helping a lot of brands get on the platform currently, especially larger brands, um, is that. I would go through it and you actually have to consume TikTok to understand it. You're not going to be able to jump into this without doing it. And also, if you understand TikTok, what performs on there, you're going to understand the other video networks as well because they're just basing themselves on what works on TikTok currently. And so I would just go through, follow brands that are in your space or in entrepreneurs that are in your space, and then bookmark the videos of theirs that do well. And I would basically use that as your content plan. I would try to get 50 concepts from people and brands of videos you think are smart and then basically plan your content. And I would plan out a lot of videos. I would plan to make a hundred videos, no joke. Cause I think that's what you really need to take to evaluate, to actually get good at the platform and evaluate whether it's gonna be successful for you or not. But they don't take a ton of time. Your first one might take a while, your second one, your third one. By the time you're on to number 10, you're like, oh, I'm doing these in 20 minutes. 
Um, and so I think that it's about getting that plan together of here's all these ideas I want to try. I've seen other people work uh, and I've seen work for these brands. And then when you launch, going on just doing them again and again and not being afraid to do three versions of the same video or five versions of the same video and find what's successful and just keep going. I think anyone that gives up before they've done 100 videos is not understanding what the potential is of the platform. You, you mentioned about doing the same video three, five times. Is that kind of a, a TikTok thing? Are there any other kind of TikTok inside strategies that are unique to the platform like that that you might be using? Yeah, well, I think if you, if you have a, a good idea that you really feel is a good idea, just because it doesn't go the first time, like looking at like minorly adjusting it, adjusting the graphics, adjusting the hook, adjusting the length, is like I would stick with that idea until you really feel it. It's just it's just not working. So I think that's something that's specific to that platform uh, for sure. Um, I think the other is one of the other things I found successful is that if you do start having videos go, like if you say, oh my video is starting to get I got a hundred thousand views, is I would set up to go live maybe a day or two later, like schedule your live. Because what I found is um, there's a feature where it basically promotes people to sign up for your live and to view your live if it's upcoming, if it's scheduled, when you have a, on the videos that you have that are going. And then when you actually go live, if you have videos that are doing well in the algorithm, it seems like TikTok pumps those a lot while you're live for a couple hours. So I think using live intelligently is a great way to uh, you know, basically boost your reach and also build some rapport with your customers beyond your video. And uh, for most brands, you're repurposing these from TikTok to Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Yeah, any others? 100%. Uh, yeah, so I think also we'll be considering LinkedIn and Twitter on that as well. Uh, I think Twitter is a very underrated platform for conversion. I saw something that Mr. Beast put out recently about how his highest converting click-through channel to sales for Feastables was Twitter. Because uh, I just think it's, it's a, because wow. people click links. That's a part of kind of what they do there, especially on the profile, et cetera. And so I think there's something interesting there. But yeah, I would basically consider any platform that takes video, I would be, I would be putting it on. Uh, and there might be some, some light nuance in how you do captions, et cetera, or, or how the velocity of your posts. But uh, if you're not, and, and I, I'm guilty of this too, because I'm not like actively posting on some of these platforms, and I should be, um, like you're, you're definitely like losing out if you're not putting it everywhere. How about YouTube Shorts? Are you seeing some good progress? Hundred percent, yeah. And the only the only complicated part is that you know you have a three minute video cap on TikTok, you have a ninety second video cap on Instagram Reels, and you have a sixty second cap on YouTube Shorts. So if you really want to be repurposing well, you need to make everything in like sub sixty seconds. And so, um, but yeah, YouTube Shorts is a little more broad though. One of the things I've noticed that's worked well or not, again, all these change every few months, so it, it, take it for what it is, is that more amateur content, like the green screen content I do that's not a pro camera, works really well on uh, on TikTok, but a lot, but more polished content tends to work better on, on YouTube Shorts and to a lesser extent, Instagram Reels. And so there's some amount of like, all right, do I make content for each of these or do I fully repurpose? And, and each of them has some nuance. Uh, YouTube, TikTok is very good at putting your content in front of your exact consumer or an exact demographic whereas youtube is much broader so you kind of have to have some broad appeal too um so there's, there's some nuance to all the different networks uh, and have you tested much paid or uh, paid tiktok ads um not really beyond retargeting um i have definitely found we have to like uh you know we can pretty now i can pretty steadily whip up like any day i i feel inclined to we can get a 50k or 100k view video on, on tiktok and it obviously takes some more to get to get a million just by taking a couple shots on goal uh and so retargeting is really the only thing we've kind of spent money on there although i've heard really good things about people who are doing top of funnel on tiktok ads we just haven't found we have to these videos that get 50 100k views what kind of business objectives do they achieve beyond that traffic are you seeing conversions from those ads yeah and so like a lot of what i'm uh so there, I guess there's two scenarios. There's content like I'm putting out where I'm really trying to focus on getting email subscribers. And so there's a lot of people just either clicking through or following and the more content they do, the more likely they are to kind of go follow that call to action. 
And but then on for branded videos on that. Um, there's a, a, a lot of interesting click through to the site you'll kind of see based on what you have. But I think the biggest thing that we've noticed is you're consistently doing that as a brand and you actually have some big presence like you, in retail or you have some presence regionally where you are. You'll begin to see the impact that that has on your sales and kind of in the zeitgeist because you know people may not click through to buy something on e-commerce there, but it is a huge retail driver. No, that's really interesting, man. Um, the you're talking about the moving the budget from paid to organic. What are you spending money on for stuff like TikTok, short form video uh, content? I think a lot of it is uh, more creators to basically tell the story in a different way. One of the things I've kind of noticed about TikTok is that it does show people the kind of people that they like. Like you will see. Yeah, if someone like wants to watch older, more respectable people that are well presented, TikTok will show them more of that. If they want to, you know, show, if they're if they're kids and they want to see other kids, they'll show them more of that. And I think that having a diverse selection of creators, uh, sometimes even with different social media accounts or making content for the brand, is a, definitely a place where we're using funds. Uh, and also just the amount of like editing and repurposing and experimentation of different types of content. You know, that's really where it is because it is, it's it's a grind. And, and like the idea of how many videos you can make to take advantage. Like if you're making you know, two videos or four videos a day across multiple accounts and repurposing them, that becomes a pretty complex machine pretty quick. So um, you mentioned before about getting started, the the best plan would be to map out 100 video ideas and just get started with them. Uh, you know, is it one of those progress over perfection type things? Uh, 100%. And I think that like, you can't really learn it until you're doing it. And you also, if you do 20 and you haven't gotten anywhere, then you haven't done enough. And I think people really start to find their groove uh, afterwards. And I'd also encourage, like, if you have an account and you've just been getting nowhere, you know, start start again. Get rid of that account. Pop pop a new one up. Do the, Follow that same idea and process and, 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 and hit it. And because I do think there's some amount of like the algorithm gets used to what a, how an account performs if it's been up there for a year and haven't hasn't really done much. And I do think that there's something to be said for starting fresh and going hard at it. And for the perfectionist brand owner that wants everything to look amazing, good luck to get past that. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And that's that's probably the biggest conversation I have is I'm like that's not what people want, and that's also not what people expect from a brand. And you have to experiment with it. And I don't think it's not it's it's impossible. Um, I, I use the um, one of the ones I, I think does really well is ASRV. It's like a men's fitness brand. They've done really well at highly polished content that works on all platforms, but that's not going to happen for everybody. And I would just let it go because consumers are going to be telling your story online anyway, and you can't control that. So you should be open to experimenting more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They've got such product, good product quality. And this is why when I was asking you earlier about how do you, how do you show that product qualities? Cause I think they do it up there with the best ASRV, you know, they Agreed. show the quality of the product in their marketing so well. hundred percent. Um, so just rounding up then in terms of um, opportunities because you often will post about you know here's a good opportunity you could do this product I always say I love it because you're like you know just get this product going here's a manufacturer just do it right yeah. I love that attitude um, what are some of the biggest opportunities in 2023 product opportunities market opportunities yeah and so I'll, I'll kind of answer this in two ways um First, I'll get kind of concrete on some things that I think are, have a lot of potential. I do think niche sports is still a huge thing. We've seen everyone's kind of gone super hard after pickleball. Uh, we've seen tons of golf brands emerging. And so now those spaces are ultra competitive. But I look at any of these smaller niche sports, like building lifestyle brands or building really um, compelling value propositions as to the quality of items specific to that use case for things like field hockey, lacrosse, women's soccer. I think there's a lot of like niche down in sports and make either again, like I don't, 
I can't think of a huge women's soccer lifestyle brand, you know, or even a medium-sized one, but yet it's one of the most popular sports in America and the world. And and also, is there anyone actually making really specific performance wear, the way like a District Vision or a Satisfy Running has made for like distance running for the lacrosse niche or something of that nature? And I think that if you start small in those niches, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, another one I think is an interesting opportunity is interior design specifically for men. I feel like there's been this awakening the last few years because of social media of like men's fashion in general and men dress a little better and a little more conscious, but you'll still walk into an apartment of like a guy who has a decent amount of money and there'll be like a mattress on the floor and nothing on the walls. And I do everything. That's an exaggeration, but like I think there's an opening for, for that as well. But really, you know, those are all like very specific niches. Um, I think that the the idea and why I promote this idea of just starting is that like I wouldn't look at it as like, hey, I'm doing a brand and it's done. I would look at it as I as an individual, whoever you are, I am starting an entrepreneurial journey by putting a product out there or starting a brand. And I have that now forever. Even if it doesn't do great now, I could revisit it when I know more in three years because I have a website and some IP and some inventory. And I've had that experience. And I would look at it as like, these are things that can evolve over time for your entire career. And if you look at it, if you're 25 or 30 or 35 now and you say, oh, when I'm 60, how much more will I have learned? And if I invest a little bit of money here and there to continue improving this and I've started or I get a better idea and I've built an email list, you now have this foundation you have forever. And I think people kind of ignore that and they're afraid of failure when it's like, cool, failure means you still have 2,000 emails to go for your next thing these are super helpful thoughts i uh it's clear to me you know you're so in the trenches with this stuff uh it's going to be really helpful for people that listen in so um i appreciate you taking time out to come on man uh where can people find out more about you oh yeah so i'm at oren meets world uh o-r-e-n um on basically every social media platform and then uh, productworld.xyz is the website and that's where you can sign up for the email list i try to send every week it's usually more like every other but uh they're pretty in-depth when they do factory links and ideas and concepts and examples and uh yeah you know dm me anytime definitely yeah they are definitely in depth and i highly recommend you guys go check it out sign up uh oren appreciate your time thanks for coming on no great thanks episode and uh thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you in the next episode next week take care